When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report, here on Monday, April 8th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complain to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same and we'll play what you have to say on air, again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, the national championship is set. The University of Virginia and Texas Tech and long live the AAF. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is that a new report? We don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. How can it not be with the NCAA tournament very close to wrapping up? Thrilling final four games on Saturday night. Thankfully, we went into the final four not really knowing how the games would go. The excitement factor might turn some people off in that regard, at least until the end. But two down-to-the-wire finishes and two teams left standing. I'm sure your bracket is the same as mine. We certainly had this pegged. The University of Virginia and Texas Tech, of course. Wouldn't have it any other way. Of course this is where we are in the national championship set for Monday night. Johnny, it is great to speak with you folks. Uh, Always a pleasure. Welcome to uh, the report, uh, new and old. And... We do forget almost that Virginia was a one seed. They are the one seed that survived, but it's almost like they were an afterthought as a one seed because of what transpired last year. Anybody who was picking their final four thought if there was a one seed that wasn't going to make it, it's going to be Virginia because of what happened last year. Uh, Tennessee, a strong two. Uh, And I I just, in all my years, I can't recall a team that has had two back-to-back games in the tournament, in the Elite Eight, and on Saturday night, to be on the absolute death death door. Over, done with, I mean, down four on Saturday night. Uh, with bring the ball up court with less than 10 seconds to go. Uh, the escape, of course, in the Elite Eight uh, against Purdue. And you know, what we've seen in so many years, and this is why we call it New Report, Old Report, what I've seen in so many more years than my partner is that when you have a win like Virginia had against Purdue, 
The next one usually goes against you, just like what happened to Purdue. When they had the escape against Tennessee with what I thought was a call I would never make because I didn't think it affected the shot and the ball had already been released on the three-point shot by Edwards, which put him at the foul line to win the game. He makes two. They win in overtime. Um, And then they come back, and it looks like they've got Virginia beat. And somehow, some way, Virginia escapes after being literally done, over, history, Sion, and unintentional missed free throw, knocked into the backcourt, a no-look pass, and uh, a 14-footer at the gun descended into overtime when they looked absolutely positively defeated. So then the next one usually goes against you, and then it happens again. Virginia has this game put away, up 10, five minutes to go, tied your own, leading the way, and virtually headed to the finals on Monday night. And then lo and behold, Ty Jerome tries to post up one of the smaller Auburn guards, struggles to do it, gets the ball deflected on the way up. The shot is short. And then for some just unfathomable reason, a total untie-like play, he tries to reach around in frustration in the backcourt, poke the ball away, picks up his fourth foul, and the game just flipped. Right then and there. Uh, Virginia did not score again until they were behind. And lo and behold, they are down and looking totally discombobulated, totally disorganized, as Bruce Pearl and company goes on a three-fest and has a two-point lead. And after a miss, Virginia luckily comes down. And my son is watching the with because you got to call timeout. They were getting a good shot in the last you know, five minutes. And Tony Bennett does not call timeout. And he leaves it to Ty Jerome. And Ty Jerome, again, makes poor decisions. And their half-court offense doesn't get run properly at all. Everybody who touches the ball can't wait to get rid of it. And there's Ty Jerome with the ball. 35 feet from the basket, who forces up a step back three that's woefully short, and it looks like it's over. But somehow, some way, we'll get into how they survived two games in a row, looking like their tournament was over, and Virginia is going to play Monday night. I cannot recall ever a team going to the Final Four where in back-to-back games at this stage of the proceedings, they were absolutely, positively done. Ironically, after being the first one to lose to a 16 last year. What a story. I mean, we hear this every year, and it goes without saying every year. You need breaks in this tournament to be successful in it. There's no way around it. That's just how it goes. It all matters when the breaks come, if they're too early, if they're too late, not only in the game, but in the brackets themselves. You need everything to fall perfect, and you need breaks to fall in the other regions. So sometimes you play a team that you're better matched up against than it would be against a better team, which we've seen a couple times so far getting to this national championship game. For them to survive that again is astonishing. Firstly, because with five minutes to go and a 10-point lead, Virginia doesn't lose those basketball games. You could have game over. 
you could flip the channel. I, I mean, there's no sense of sticking around. We've watched this before thousands of times with this Tony Bennett defense. The game's over with. No. I was... I was surprised, and I don't know if you felt this way, it kind of gave me a comparison to Duke in a way when Zion picked up his second foul and Coach K decided to take him out. Michigan State goes on the run. Well, Ty Jerome picks up his fourth foul in the second half, gets taken out. Michigan State goes on its run. I'm sorry. It's baffling in a sense that Auburn, by the way, not Michigan State, baffling in a sense that that could happen again because we already saw that happen in a game. I'm curious to know if you maybe thought in that instance, just like I thought it with Coach K, there you can put a little bit more faith in coaching the player, put less faith in coaching by the stats. Ty Jerome doesn't get into foul trouble. I think you could have put trust in him to not make a mistake and pick up that fifth foul. I think Coach K could have done that with Zion. Let him know, listen, don't be stupid. Don't pick up that third. In this case, don't pick up that fifth. I think they could have gotten away with putting the faith in the player, not necessarily going by the book. Now, it's the safe decision, and it ended up working out in the case for Virginia, but... If it didn't, that would have been something that everyone would have looked back on and thought, well, maybe he should have just stuck to his guns and assumed Ty Jerome would have been okay there. I'm going to disagree on both fronts, respectfully, because you have to remember there are other factors involved. And those other factors uh, have whistles that they blow. And they love to blow them. And I cannot allow Zion to pick up his third foul uh, in the first half there when I've got an entire second half to go and I think I'm the better team and the only way I think I can lose him, this game is if I don't have him at full strength in the second half and he had him at full strength in the second half uh, he was in good shape uh, yeah it cost them a big run but there wasn't just that okay it was Jack White playing as poorly as he played and Michigan State hitting some shots, Winston playing well. It wasn't just that Zion was there. Big part of it, absolutely. But I've got to have him. I can't rely on a freshman to not make a freshman mistake. I can't rely upon, you know, an, an official not calling a flop foul or a nickel diamond that gets a missed third foul. And really the same scenario with Ty Drew, especially with the quickness of those Auburn guards who all it takes is a step in front, right, a struggle for a loose ball, a little bit of a ball fake or a pump fake or a blow-by or a little bit of a brush, and boom, my best player's out of the game. When I've got the lead, I've got the lead here. So I've got to play to win the game and protect the lead. I've got to give them a blow. They just literally fell apart. They fell apart. They didn't get good shots. Their supposed lottery pick, uh, again, really did nothing. Disappeared. Uh, Disappeared in, in this game, uh, again, um, you keep, they keep talking about he's a lottery pick, and in these last two games, he's really done nothing. Absolutely zero. He got the big bucket in overtime against Purdue. They put them out by a point when he went to the class and took advantage of his size advantage. But he has really you know, been a magician in these two games that he's disappearing. 
He literally has done a kid, David Copperfield, in both these games. And I felt that you had to sit Jerome down uh, because you still got the ball handler and you still got Guy. And supposedly your lottery pick. But they all of a sudden Auburn's get tied for three and you're in a pickle and your half-court offense turns to mush. And then even when Jerome comes back in, they're lost. They're not running their stuff. They're not getting good shots. And they're done. They're done. I mean, remember, Purdue's at the line to make it a two-possession game, and he misses the second free throw. Um, The big-time three-point shooter. Or that game in all probability would have been over, and it's going to be over anyway on the second free throw when it's tapped into the backcourt. And now... Auburn's at the line to make it a five-point game. And they, I'm, I'm sorry, I take that back. Uh, after, after the two free throws, they make it a four-point game. And they're bringing the ball up court. And I, my son is saying, well, hurry up. I mean, Ty Jerome is literally coming up court like they're down one possession. Right, right. He's taking forever to get the ball across half court. They get it, they, they, they run their set. And you watch it again, there really wasn't a screen that t- that uh, guy rubbed his, his defender off of. He just moved without the ball nicely, lost his man, got to the spot. And that is the greatest – that's going to be the greatest forgotten shot in the history of the tournament. Because all anybody's ever going to remember is the free throws. He got to a spot in the right corner – got himself a little space with a pump fake and with the game on the line, nothing but net. I mean, he drains a three from deep in the corner to make it a one point game with seven and a half seconds to go. No one's ever going to remember that shot. All they remember is the free throws. And lo and behold, it was four. And now all of a sudden it's one. They follow the inbound. Their best free throw shooter who hasn't missed the free throw in 18, 19 attempts makes the first one, misses the second. They give the fouls. Now, some people think the second foul was not, after the missed double dribble, was not a good foul. I, I got in that discussion that. last night. I thought it was a good foul because if you let him go there, well, you're letting him go on his way to pull up for a three, which he regularly hits. He had time to take a couple more dribbles. People say, well, on TV, he launched a desperation shot. I think that was Ty Jerome at the whistle trying to draw draw three free throws. But the the point is, he regularly makes shots from 30 30 feet. So uh, I thought the second foul, even though it let them set up their half-court inbounds, I had no problem with the second foul, giving the second foul, which was the sixth foul. How about you? Looking back on it, it's easy to say he shouldn't have followed there. I think after he goes by and you're a defender, you're not looking at the clock. He was glancing at it several times after the missed double dribble just to see how much time was left. I'm sure Bruce Pearl told them, hey, let's get a follow in by this time and then let's get a follow in by that time. 
So in that instance, you're thinking about that. You're not necessarily thinking that quickly. How far away is he from the three-point line? How much control does he have with the basketball? And how much time is there going to be in this game for him to maybe get another dribbling at close? And the thing that people who are listening to us have to remember, look at how much time it's taking us to talk about this. Now think about real time. Well, it's snap your fingers. It's literally the snap of your fingers, the blink of an eye to make that decision. And we take a half hour to talk about that one little glimpse of time that these kids are coached to do a particular thing, are reacting to what's transpired, and have to make a snap decision and are following instructions. I have no problem with the foul there. Absolutely, positively, I thought the right decision. And then, of course, comes... The play. The inbounds from the side, one and a half to go. Again, this time in the near corner. Guy gets enough space to find himself open to catch, get a clean, good look and launch. And unlike, completely unlike the call I thought that was the wrong call in the Purdue game where... The shot got off cleanly, and yes, the shooter was brushed on his way down, but the ball was gone and clearly gone. This one I differentiate because whenever a shooter is fouled cleanly, clearly, contact is made while he is in the act of shooting, before the ball is gone. Yes, you're in the act of shooting until you land, technically, but he was literally in the act of shooting the ball. He was up. It was before the release, on the way to the release. He was clearly contacted with. The player went towards him. He couldn't stop. He got him with the body. It was absolutely positively. And as much as I hate it, I hate the call. It was the right call. And the hard part about it in that particular game, too, especially if you're an Auburn fan, they were letting the boys play that night, which was great to see. They let them be physical down low. They let them be physical Ding up. I thought the officials did a great job of not making it a 70-whistle follow game like we've sometimes seen in the Final Four. That's where you raise your eyebrows a little bit because that is a call that Maybe if that happens in the first half, you don't know necessarily if they're going to call it. I would agree oh, with you that it's they're, they are calling that they're they're making that call. You know, look, if it's just a 40 point game, of course, but they're making that call every time, every time while the game is in, in is contested that that protect the shooter on the three. He didn't kick his legs out until after the contact. There was clear contact. Protect the shooter. He jumped towards him, point A to point B, as Sterator explained. He didn't come down anywhere near where he started, and he, there was clear contact on the shooter in the act of shooting, on the, you know, right onto the body. That's a no-brainer call. Well, we'll say this. Thank God for Kyle Guy, if you're Virginia. <laughs> no questions asked. Because as you mentioned, this is the fear If you're a Virginia supporter, if you're a fan of college basketball, if you have them in their bracket, at certain times in the game, for whatever reason, a switch gets flipped to the negative 
and they seemingly forget how to play offense. When they need a basket toward the end of the game, there's points where you fear they're going to get one. And there were times down the stretch, as you have already mentioned, Ty Jerome is dribbling the ball like they've got all the time in the world to run their offense. And it's like, move. The game is going to be over by the time you set this up. Thankfully, he finds Kyle Guy, who, as we have seen countless times, worked his way to get open, got just enough space to make that miraculous three. And I agree, that's probably one that we'll unfortunately forget. But there's times where, for whatever reason it is, the Virginia offense just goes stagnant. And it was getting to the point at the end of the game, if you're a regular college basketball fan, they had somehow flipped the script to where they had deserved to lose. And if they had lost the game, you would have just looked back on, well, the strategy to not score for five minutes at the end of the game just didn't work. But thankfully, Kyle Guy comes to the rescue in both instances, makes the three free throws, without a care in the world like he's been I mean, doing this all his I mean, life just you just, can't you can't even script it you, i mean think think about it think about stepping to the line all right point five you're down two so you know, edwards did it for purdue he missed the first one which to me is the key one the first one is the key one if you make the first one you're feeling good yeah well and, and it's the just first like one. practice at that he point. stepped up and made the first one like he was in his driveway. Plain and simple. I mean, pure, not a care in the world. A- after he made the first one, I didn't think he was going to miss out. He makes the second one. Bruce Pearl smartly calls the timeout, trying at least make him think about him, ice him to some degree, steps right back to the line and drains off three. Now, this was, which I did not realize, uh, until this season. I did not know that Kyle Guy was Indiana Mr. Basketball a couple years back. I did not know that. Um, I did not know that he was that nationally uh, an acclaimed uh, high school player. Um, he's a pure shooter. I, Quite frankly, I thought the last shot was going in. I thought it was going in just like the one from the other corner. I thought it was nothing but net. And obviously it was just... A, you know, a weedy off, but he drained those three free throws like it was nobody's business, and that that's big time stuff. So you, you think about you can't have two more narrow, mind boggling escapes than they have had in the Elite Eight and the Final Four to get to Monday night, and they run into a team that is tough as nails because they have now beaten in consecutive games an incredibly well-coached Michigan team, which they totally shut down. Michigan had no answers on offense for Texas Tech's defense. They then take on Gonzaga, one of the highest, if not the highest scoring team in the country, one seed, and they just out-muscled Gonzaga. They out-fizzled Gonzaga. They took the game away from them. They took their souls. They took their hearts. They took the game completely out of their hands through real knockdown, drag-out, in-your-face, physical defense. And as we said last week, 
in a game that I thought was not poorly officiated, but was officiated in such a fashion that I thought gave them the advantage because of the way they play and the way Gonzaga plays. And then they go up against Michigan State, who, like them, plays a physical game, and the referees let them play, rightfully so, because those are two teams that like to do it, and they were tougher. They were tougher. They were better. They were stronger on the glass. If not for Michigan State knocking down a bunch of free throws in the last five minutes, that game is over. But just like Virginia, same scenario, this team suddenly can't find a way to score, stops getting good shots, stops running their offense, gets a little greedy with the three, and every time down they follow Michigan State. And Michigan State, whether it's Winston or anybody else, keeps knocking down front end and back ends and one-on-ones or two-shot scenarios. They knocked down, I, I believe, seven out of eight free throws, at least six, six, or, six or, or eight in a row, to get right back in it from down 13, get it all the way to one, and then finally their lottery pick, who had also been missing in action, comes up huge, gets to the glass with the runner, makes one or two free throws, and then knocks down a three to finish I thought a marvelous defensive effort from Texas Tech for the third consecutive game. And they were the better team. They were absolutely positively the better team than Michigan State. I'd be lying if I said I was that into that game as I was the Virginia-Auburn game. I left for some refreshments, came back. 23-21 halftime. Yikes. (laughs) And I understand great defense was being played. Texas Tech does a fantastic job on that side of the ball. No question about it. For the I don't have a dog in the fight, looking forward to an exciting game, it would have been like going to watch Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa play in 1998, and somebody decides to throw a complete game shutout in their wake. That's, that's kind of how the game was. You can enjoy a game like that. I'm not saying that it was awful. And shout out to Texas Tech for an incredible run, which continues Monday night against Virginia. Overall, the game just didn't have a lot of juice for me until it got to be a one-point game. And then all of a sudden, Texas Tech flips this switch and you would have swore that there was a glitch on your television because before you know it, they were back in control of the game and it wasn't even close again. The way the teams are able to do that, and Virginia faced this against Auburn. It didn't surprise me that this was the game Auburn shot awful from three. That's expected. We see that in the tournament all the time. A team will get red hot, much like they did against North Carolina, blow them off the floor, continue that into the next game, and then eventually that's not there anymore. And I thought they relied on the three far too much is what got them down by 10 from Virginia because they would just come up, throw up a three with 10 seconds removed from the shot clock, one and out for multiple possessions. It was getting to the point where... They, they hadn't scored to start the half. We're getting close to the 13-minute the mark. Finally, the shots start to fall. 
I was surprised they didn't try something different to switch that up. If the three's not there, all right, we'll pound it inside. We'll see what happens. In a way, that's, that's what costs you close games like that. When you go on those scoreless streaks, they'll come back to bite you, as it almost did for Virginia. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. You see it so frequently where teams just go on. They, they just it's like they, for, they forget everything that's gotten yes. them to that point. Did they just totally go brain dead? Now, some of it is the defense, absolutely. But, you know, we forget their kids. These aren't pros yet. Some of them will be. But they just completely forget everything that got them there. They stop running their offense, and it turns into, you know, dribble, 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 one pass, one pass back, dribble, 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 contested three at the end of the shot clock. And it happens a couple different times. Then maybe a forced pass inside because we don't want to take the contested three again. The results in a turnover. And all of a sudden, there's two threes at the other end. It's a six-point run. And what looked like a comfortable lead has turned into a game again. And that's really what happened to Virginia. And Auburn makes the run back. And in a way, it, it, it's really a similar thing happened to Texas Tech, where they kind of fell in love with the three. They stopped going to the basket, even though they had advantages going to the basket. With their lottery pick, who finally, when he went to the basket, could not be stopped. McQuaid could not check him. Every time he blew by McQuaid whenever he wanted to. So, you know, we, we too often forget that these are not pros. This notion of, you know, Duke, Duke could beat a bad, the worst NBA team. No, they can't. And it's not even close. It's not even close. These teams are scoring in the 50s and the 60s. These teams would lose by 30 points. Duke would lose by 20 points minimum to an NBA team, to any NBA team in a 48-minute game. I guarantee it. And 20 is, is putting it lightly. Right? So these are still kids, whether it's Zion the Lion or whether it's his teammate or whether it's John Moran, they are still kids. They are not pros. They have not played at that level yet. They have not played with men. The NBA is filled with men who kick ass. And they do it for 48 minutes. Sometimes they take bad shots. Sometimes they go through dry spells. But they are men. These are young men slash boys. And sometimes they play like it. And often they play like it for stretches of five to six minutes when they forget how to play. And we saw that in two separate occasions last night. And it almost cost both teams a trip to the Final Four. You know, but enough with the Tom Izzo, all right, 51 points. Once again, Tom Izzo, two and six in this game. One championship in his backyard, all right, when he won with Mateen Cleaves and company in his own state. Since then, one and six in this game, eight trips to the Final Four, two trips to the Finals. And every time, they put up stinkers like this. 51 points. 51 points. Are you kidding me? Can you find somebody to put the ball in the basket? Can you get some good shots? 
Can you run your offense? 51 points. That's pathetic. Absolutely, positively pathetic. More often than not, these teams get in this spot and they can't put the ball in the water if they're sitting in the boat. And last night was another perfect example. So lastly, on the recaps, as someone who is familiar with officiating, did you know that was a double dribble on Virginia? Yes. Yes. Now, there are many times when you watch games when guys will go recover their dribble and put it down again, and it's not called. And I'm watching this double dribble. You can't go recover your dribble, catch it, grasp it, and then start the dribble again. You can go continue the dribble. That's fine. But when the ball is not touched, and it was only touched by him on really, uh, again, sometimes Ty Jerome, as terrific a player as he is, does things that are hard to figure. And this was another one. Why are you going behind your back? Your job in that situation is to get the ball from point A to point B as soon as humanly possible. You should be going full bore to get past that guy to either beat him, to put up a shot, or to get fouled as soon as possible so there's much time left on the clock. The last thing you want to do is take time in making your almost the way he did similarly in the past, the guy in the corner where he was taking his sweet time. Like, you know, it was a one possession game where it is a one possession, but you got to go. He does the behind the back dribble with the French pastry that goes off his leg. Now you can recover it and dribble, but it has to be a continued dribble. Once you catch it and possess it with both hands, you cannot dribble again. That is an obvious double dribble. And they all missed it. They all missed it. I think uh, I'm probably being liberal, but I'm going to say the first one to 60 wins. Most people are probably thinking 50. I'm going to say first one to 60 wins. I think it's going to be a little more opened up to people think. How about you? I was kind of getting that feeling too. And based on some of the things we've seen happen in this tournament, it seems like you can go against what the consensus will be and you'll be okay. Duke's going to win the national championship. Well, that didn't end up happening. This will be the lowest scoring national championship ever. Hammer the under and you can do no wrong. We might see a game that, for whatever reason, one or two players on each team gets hot and it turns into, slightly, a shootout. I don't think that'll be the case. But it would be nice to prove the critics wrong in that sense where Kyle Guy gets going, DeAndre Hunter comes back from the dead, Texas Tech starts hitting threes. Let's go. Punch for punch. I know the total. Is, is the total the lowest number in how many years? Did they say? I heard, I heard it's like the, the lowest number in a long time. Yeah, that, I haven't seen the exact years yet. I didn't look for it purposely. But I'm assuming that's going to come up in conversation, and it'll be several years, the lowest. What is the what is the number? I didn't check it. I think it got down to in the 120s. I'll have to see if it's gotten bumped even lower lower to that at this point. To, to me, to me, it's 60. Um, both teams missed big free throws down the stretch. 
when they had the lead that helped turn the games around. Both both teams missed uh, had uh, each had a player missed two free throws uh, that kind of fueled helped fuel the comeback um, and continue their dry spell. Free throws will be huge. The way this game is officiated will be huge. I never want to see somebody pick up two quick ones, um, and that's where. Unlike the scenario of like, that's a foul on the shooter. You always have to call that. There are other fouls that I believe if you're an experienced referee and you're refereeing the game in the moment, understand the stage that you, you know, a nickel dimer away from the ball or 40 feet from the basket on the dribble that results in nothing. It, it, you know, look, you, you've got to have some awareness. Don't tell me you don't know when guys have fouls. All right. You can't call a big time player's second foul 40 feet from the basket, five minutes into the game. So, you know, everybody's losing him. The national TV audience is losing him. The people in the building are losing him. The game's losing him. His team's losing him. You know, you, you can't, that's, that's where discretion has to be the better part of valor as an official. That's where I believe there are times where even though it's a foul, you can't, don't always have to call the foul. Um, now, there are purists who say if it's foul, it's foul, it's foul, it's foul. I understand that. But I, I believe there are certain instances where you have to be in your pocket. Uh, I never want to see tomorrow a big-time player having two fouls five minutes into the game. I want to see guys play. As it stands now... Virginia is a one and a half point favorite, and the over under is one eighteen. There you go. First to sixty hits the over. I got to go with Virginia. I got to show my ACC bias. I'm also producing Tuesday's show, so it would be nice to get a couple of Virginia guests who are going to be in a good mood the day after the national championship game. I mean, it seems like it's their year from what we've seen so far that has gotten them to this point with the breaks coming in back-to-back games the way they did. It seems like this is going to be the year that they're just going to have enough left in the tank to make it happen. And I, I haven't seen enough of Texas Tech aside from their loss to Duke and some games in this tournament to be able to say with confidence that they'll win the game. But they easily can. And like I said, when it comes to Virginia, if Texas Tech is able to get a decent lead and force Virginia to have to answer, and they're in their light switches off groove, that's that could prove very troublesome quick. You might look at the clock and have them down 18 in the blink of an eye because their offense just goes stagnant sometimes. Hopefully for them, they're able to just keep everything in line. Don't make stupid decisions like they did against Auburn. Just throwing their offense in complete shambles when Jerome went with his fourth foul. Do your little offense. Lull us to sleep. Get the baskets when you can. They're going to try to play their game, and all year it's worked. Except against Duke. Twice. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. 
He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. The last thing for you on the new report, old report, after picking Virginia, both of us, you were around for the USFL, the XFL, other L's. They took the L's out. At least people don't refer to the L in the AAF, which is now ending operations, defunct, told the players and coaches and trainers to just go home, and that's it. Didn't get to the playoffs. Players are already signing with the National Football League, luckily for them. Great opportunity, part of what this league was about. Any surprise that this didn't work? It's similar to this show. New report, old report. New news, old news, same news. These leagues never, ever make it. They never will make it. There's the National Football League and there's these leagues. Whether or not the NFL wanted them to make it, I don't care when people say I want my football. I don't care when people say I can't get enough football. People can get enough football when it's not during football season. These leagues that aren't during football season never fly. People will watch all the football and take all the football they can eat during football season. But you run them at different times, they never fly. They never make it. There's never anybody in the building. After the first couple of weeks, there's no interest. 87 people are watching. And look at the look at the building. There's nobody in the seats. They're cavernous. What shocked me too is we didn't really hear a lot about this league as far as advertising goes, as far as it being forced down our throats. I mean, the Super Bowl happened on CBS, which these AAF games were going to be a part of, and there wasn't even a five-second promo to let people know that the season was coming. This completely flew under the radar, and you could blame part of it, I guess, that they're not associated with the National Football League. The NFL doesn't have a problem with them, but they're certainly not in support of them to where you're seeing commercials, billboards, anything to get interest. You have to search long and hard if you want to find a score when they're playing on the weekends. They're not on the front page of ESPN. They don't have much going on as far as a website or a presence. You had to search for this league in order to keep up with it. And it just never took off. And it's not like they didn't have one or two guys on each team that they could build storylines around. It is football. There were some aspects that they brought to this league that I thought were interesting. And I'm sure the NFL will steal, much like they did once the XFL came up with a couple good ideas. It just seemed like after the first week and we got that hit that went viral when the quarterback's helmet flew off and it wasn't a flag, that was the highlight for the AAF. 
It happened in like the first quarter of the first game, and that was it. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I never had thought that there was going to be any interest of note, despite the presence of Bill Polian, despite the presence of Ebersol's son, uh, despite the presence of Phil Savage, who is a savant, who has been a brilliant general manager, who is as solid a football guy as there has ever been. I thought it was going nowhere, just like I think they all will go nowhere. And for once, I was correct, but it didn't, it didn't take a whole lot to figure this one out. I think the most surprising thing of it all was, well, I, I guess it's not that surprising, considering how everything flew down <laughs> like uh, a landslide, was how the players were treated post the AAF and even during it. Hotels weren't getting paid when the teams were there. Once everything was said and done, they had to find their own flights home. Guys that were injured, even in the last week, that now have to get surgery and rehab, that's all out of pocket. Hearing some of the stories of what was going on behind the scenes, I mean, guys that played in the league have to be thinking, what are we doing? The main investor lost, what, $70 million in a month? Yeah. Two months? So I I can only figure that he simply said, enough is enough. He wasn't in on the – I don't think he was in originally, was he? No, he came in and – there were a couple quid pro quos for him to deal with where he would have ownership of this or that or could pull out at any time. And I think he also wanted to get in on some of the gambling ideas that they had or some technology they were using. There was the rumor about the gambling, right. the, the gambling technology aspect of it. He was in on the ground floor on that. But $70 million lost in that short of time period. Um, I can only surmise he took a look and he took his overall view of it with his financial experts, they came to the conclusion that it was not viable and that another $70 million down the tubes was coming. So, out he goes, and uh, the, the, the plug is pulled on yet another quasi semi-professional football league. Uh, not to compete with the NFL, because nothing can, but to supposedly draw the interest while there was no NFL. The interest was minimal. The interest was nominal. And as a result, as I said before, it came and it went. And here comes Vince McMahon entering the ring next year to see if he can make XFL 2.0 happen again. I think back when the USFL came about, the NFL wasn't popular enough where it could rival the league. Where we are now, unless the NFL is involved with a, a AAA of sorts or a startup of sorts, nobody's going to compete with them now. It's over. They're it. As we say on this show, nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. you got to pick up your lunch pail and go the other direction if you think you're going to take them down. That's just where it is now in 2019. Back then, there was a chance. Now... Unless it's something that they're sanctioning, don't worry. The NFL is a monopoly. Plain and simple. 
Al, it's no always a, it's always a pleasure. No two no two ways about it, my friend. Uh, a, another great program, another great week, folks. Tomorrow night, NCAA championship, Virginia, the Wahoos against Texas against the boys from Lubbock. Who'd have thunk it? Number three seed Texas Tech. Remember, there has to be a winner. So watch it. Enjoy it. Get with it. Don't give up on the tournament just because it's not going to be a ratings boom final. Make it a ratings boom final. Everybody tune in on Monday night. And let's hope we see a great game. But you're not going to know unless you watch it. So everybody tune in. Uh, Johnny, always a pleasure. Everybody, enjoy tomorrow night. Have a great week. Until next week. For John Tinyland, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. from White Plains. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.